0: Welcome to Power Yourself, where I talk about the most important topic in the world, you. Welcome back to another episode of Power Yourself. Today's topic is going to be one of the hot topics out there, and that's going to be emotional intelligence. With me today, I am excited to have one of my amazing co-workers join me not so much in the studio, but on Zoom through the studio. <laughs> but Kim, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: Hey, Jillian. Uh, it's really awesome to be here talking about one of my favorite topics with you. Um, yeah, my name's Kim Gordy. And uh, you know what? I work with leaders to really um, see how they can develop a leadership philosophy and a strategy to, to do what they want to do with their teams. <sighs> so much
0: to talk about on that, but we're going to try not to go there. <laughs> Today It's going to be all about the topic of emotional intelligence, which no doubt comes into so much play in your work as is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's. It, matter of fact, I just recently got off a call this afternoon where we were talking about how emotional intelligence was playing out in a, a challenge that a leader had with a, uh, with a fellow colleague who was a leader. So yeah, it's everywhere. It's all the time. It follows us just like, uh, everything else that's, you know, wonderful part of ourselves follows us everywhere and shows up everywhere.
0: And I think that's a kind of, it's a great segue to say, okay, we talk about it a lot, but mm-hmm. let's, what I, what I would love for you to do for us is define it, give us simplistic terms, because it's one of those things that you kind of hear out there all the time, but do we really know what we're talking about kind of thing? So great opportunity right now to pause and just be like, Kim, you work with it all the time. What is it to you?
1: Well, when I think about the definition, I'll give you a definition in a moment, but what I thought might be kind of cool is to think about why it mattered to me. And And it actually has to do with a story that I experienced when I was a kid. And, uh, so I was, I think about 10 years old and we were headed to Kelowna to go to Bedrock city and we didn't take very many vacations. My dad worked in construction outside and we also had three farms. And so to have a family vacation was, you know, pretty much unheard of, but going to Bedrock city was like my dream come true. I, I love the Flintstones, and it was going to be our first holiday. And uh, we lived in northern Alberta, so we were, we were quite a ways from from most things. So if you were doing a trip, it was a, it was a big deal. And so we headed out on what was going to be a 10-day vacation. And uh, for those who don't know Alberta, Grand Prairie is in northwestern Alberta. And then there's a couple of towns typically an hour apart until you start to get to Edmonton, a bigger urban center. And then we would head down to Kelowna and my sister and i were in the back seat of the car and there was some kind of some conversation going on with my parents i didn't know what and wasn't really paying attention but we pulled into a gas station the esso gas station in valley view and my mom got out went into the washroom i went in with her and she threw up and i thought oh my god like mom's got the flu or you know she's sick there's something wrong and i was really worried about her she comes back to the car Um, gets in, is talking to my dad um, and is describing that she, she can't drive any further. And it's not because she has stomach ache. She had some kind of emotional response to this drive and she couldn't make sense of it. But we literally had to turn around and go back home. My dad was like super upset and kind of angry with her. And as a kid, I was confused because I kind of felt protective of my mom, you know, and was also really sad that our whole trip was canceled, but none of us knew what was happening. Yeah. And what we found out that happened to her was she had a panic attack. Oh. So it was the first panic attack she'd ever had. And so a panic attack, of course, is when our emotions um, literally flood and take over our, our body and our mind and our ability to think. And I remember as a 10 year old kid thinking, wow, like our emotions can can make us throw up. Like, that's really intense. <laughs> and, and of course, I couldn't really understand it. And uh, in the process of the years that followed, my mom uh, found out that this wasn't hap- actually what had happened to her. And she went on a bit of a discovery around the power of emotions and, and how um, she could train her own brain you know, the cognitive part of her brain to help her navigate something like a panic attack, that she could have the power to experience her emotions, but also decide what to do with them. And for her, it was a bit of a lifelong journey, but in the process of her discovering this, which was quite groundbreaking in those days, people didn't talk about emotional intelligence. It wasn't described. I mean, it was really in the nineties with Goldman's book that it came out. Yeah. But she tried to share as much as she could with us so that we wouldn't um, maybe have some of the life experiences she had around anxiety, around depression and panic attacks and that kind of thing.
0: Oh, my God. I had no idea you had this given to you so young at all like that. Wow. Like what a horrifying moment. But like as an adult, I look at that as like, holy shit, what a gift you were given at such a young age, too.
1: Absolutely. And you know what, Any, anytime I talk, um, I've done, you know, a couple keynotes on emotional intelligence. And I always have a side of my mom in that just because it was her experience that really shone a light on what, what the power of emotions mm. at, at a really young age for me. And, and I guess really created a bit of a curiosity about me because uh, for me that I really wanted to figure out. And so uh, when Goldman's book came out in the 90s, I bought it. Um, as soon as it came out and read it cover to cover and that's where I started to understand a little bit about how uh, you know emotions can really serve us, but uh, absolutely unleashed emotions may also not serve us well. And so when it comes to, to defining emotional intelligence, it's really you know how do we how do we use emotional information um, in a way that can help us create, the life that we want. I mean, that's like in the most simple terms because our emotions can inform um, decision-making around all of the big decisions that we make, all of the small decisions that we make. Um, It can also just be such understanding our emotions can play such a huge role in navigating stress, Um, navigating, um, um, you know, our mind's desire to keep looping and to um, dramatize and to Um, do some of those things that don't serve us well. So yeah, in its simplest terms, it's like understanding and using our emotions in a way that can help us create our best life.
0: But it's so powerful because you're, you're saying how emotions can have this powerful influence on the life that we live and kind of what we get out of life. We could even elaborate that on relationships and communications and yada, yada, yada. And... When you think about it, like I don't know the unlearning that you had to do, but I know I had to do a lot of unlearning about showing emotions because it was always deemed Mm. as more of this negative thing. You don't want to show your emotions. So learning to kind of correct that and really step back and encourage myself to understand my emotions and that can actually serve me was, like I said, one of probably the biggest unlearnings that I had to do regarding emotions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, probably there wouldn't be one person listening to this um, that wouldn't have had that experience because as we're learning to navigate what we feel, um, we might not be showing it to people in a way that's acceptable. So that's where some of the judgment around the emotion comes in. Um, But but the piece that's always missing is it's the judgment on how it's expressed. It's not... there, like we, there, is, there shouldn't be any judgment on the emotion itself uh, because we feel what we feel, but there are ways to show emotion in a way that can still be respectful to other people, that can be communicated in a really clear way to help people understand, um, to show passion. Like excitement and, um, you know, they, it all still plays a role, uh, but it's understanding that feeling the emotion and then how we show it to others actually are two separate pieces. And that is really the crux of emotional intelligence. And so uh, whenever I do learning on it, as I, at the beginning and sprinkled throughout, and at the very end, I have three questions that I like people to remember when they think, how might I develop my emotional intelligence? And I said, you want to get better at answering these questions. What am I feeling right now? Why am I feeling it? And what do I want to do about it? So, it's really in its most simple form um, that ability. You know, it starts with that self awareness piece where it's like, what am I feeling right now? Can I name it? How can I grow my capacity to name emotions beyond the ones that we see, uh, you know, in that Pixar movie? How can we develop them beyond sad, mad? You know? Great movie, by the way. Great, <laughs> great movie. Great. great movie. And, you know, some of us struggle to use words beyond what's described yep. there. Um, one, of my, one of my really key stories around finding the right word, just to kind of describe this piece a little bit more for you is when I first moved away, I moved away when I was really young, when I was 18. And on Sundays... Typically, it was a day of family and in the wintertime, the sun would be setting and I could smell dinner. My dad would have hockey night in Canada on so I could hear that music. And I had this really homey feeling. When I moved away, I had this crappy little TV on a milk carton. I was by, I was lonely. I was by myself. You know, I didn't know what I was having for dinner. It was probably some crappy, crappy uh, itchaban or something. And I had this feeling and I kept thinking, well, what is it? Because I'm not sad and I'm not even homesick. And, and I like struggled for, you know, quite a few weeks going, what's like, what am I feeling? What, and what is it? And it was melancholy. And then why I was feeling it was because I was reflecting on what Sunday nights felt and that feeling and who I was surrounded by and what that experience was like, and I was missing it. Um, but that was like one example that stands out in my mind for one reason, I think that word's like super cool, just as a, <laughs> as a word to describe <laughs> emotions but it just nailed it so well that I was like, that's it, that's it. And then it kind of all made sense. And then I could kind of wrap my arms around it and accept it and be like, yeah, of course I feel melancholy. You know, this is how come. And if I want to do something about it, if, if it's a little bit uncomfortable, I'm going to invite a friend over for dinner. How could I recreate what I'm missing? So that's an example of like, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? And what do I want to do about it?
0: I think that's a beautiful tool and, it's almost like another thing I'd love to see taught in schools, right? Because you're right. This whole feelings, like I look at in our job now, we have like, you know, the, the feelings wheel, or you can look up a whole bunch of different emotions, which you can kind of be able to acknowledge and drill down a little bit more. But we're not taught about the variety of emotions that exist out there. And I think you're right. We try to categorize it into happy, sad, um, you know, angry, or, or, you know, what's another typical one, like, that's all the ones I can kind of think of in the moment. But being able to kind of identify the different emotions you're actually feeling, naming that, and then I think your perfect questions of why am I feeling it. So what that tells me right there, when we're talking about emotional intelligence, it's, I would say a big step is to step back You know, as Mm -hmm. we're in those moments, understanding that something's going on for us to have that self-aware to say, wait a second, what's happening for me? And then I really like your next questions of why am I feeling it to really be able to connect with that? Because so much of the research says, you know, name it to tame it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we can't suppress this stuff. We can't push it down. It's always going to come up. So it's learning how to acknowledge, lean into it understand it. And then beautiful third step. Now, what can I do about it?
1: Mm -hmm. And what do I want to do about it? Yeah. And so that's actually just the conversation that I'd had with uh, one of my leader clients before we jumped on this call was, um, she'd had an experience with, uh, with a fellow leader, um, where there was a miscommunication and the communication came to her in a way that she didn't think was respectful. Mm -hmm. Um, But she had described how she just felt like she went from zero to 10. And we were kind of joking about it. And she's like, rage, rage. Yeah, that's what I would call it. It was rage. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, "I said, so why do you think it was rage? Like, what's behind that? And as it turned out, because she's one of my clients, she's done some emotional intelligence work. She's done an assessment. And she said, you know what? I just, in this moment, connected it to... Um, that piece around my own self-confidence and it, and it was her questioning, you know, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right thing? Uh, Do I know what I'm doing? And, and uh, she, I said, so did you make that connection before when you've had this feeling before? And she said, no, like not until we just talked about it right now because what she was wanting to kind of unpack, I guess, and plan with me was this follow-up conversation around this conflict. But she was still so mad and she was afraid of how she would navigate it with still feeling this way. So we had a bit of a chat where she said, yeah, you know what? At the base of it, it's fear. I always fear like I'm not doing the right thing. Uh, And so when someone kind of pokes a hole in it or comes to me in a way that, you know, looks like they don't trust what I'm doing or maybe they don't think that I'm doing it right, then you know it's the reaction and it's the fight reaction it's like you know fight flight or freeze and for her it's fight and then so then it's this rage so she had a real um again the inf- the emotions are giving her information because what she's realized in that conversation is that is one of her triggers so something that looks like smells like that someone doesn't have faith in her don't you know they don't think she's bright enough that she's not doing the right thing this continues to come up and now that she's kind of identified as a trigger, she has a whole other way of of navigating it and understanding it for herself, and then choosing what she wants to do about it.
0: It's interesting. I go right back to the term you used at the beginning—the power that this gives you. So, like, you can just play out in your head how that conversation would go if somebody didn't de-escalate themselves, if they didn't self-reflect and do that work. How that can kind of you know, let's be honest, tarnish a relationship over time where we go into exactly what you named more of that reaction mode versus coming from that place of, you know, awareness, but also groundedness in a way, like being able to show up level-headed and be able to access all pieces of our brain versus just that kind of survival piece. So, Another thing is popping up for me as we're talking about the emotional intelligence piece is it seems like two big parts. So it seems like a journey of self, okay? Mm -hmm. that kind of ability to step back, find out, get curious with ourselves, what we're feeling, why we're feeling it kind of thing. And I also see it as playing into how we interact with others, though. So being able to, first of all, as you just perfectly mentioned with your example, being able to do that with yourself and de-escalate and know that that's going to play a role in my communication. But I find it can be also noticing it in other people too. Mm -hmm. You know, the emotions popping up, um, maybe their reaction and kind of holding space for that and knowing what to do in those moments.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you bring that up, that that taps right into one of the key elements of emotional intelligence, which is empathy. And so empathy, not sympathy, right? So empathy being just what you described, being able to um, see and look and, and understand what someone else might be experiencing um, in that situation around the emotion piece. And it doesn't mean that we need to feel it. And it doesn't mean um, that we have to, you know, really have have any feelings around it, but it does mean that we have the ability to see what's happening with others. And then also maybe be able to, in the moment, as we get to know and develop our skills, be able to respond in a way that can, um, you know, keep that kind of social emotional uh, channel open. Uh, Because often what we see happens is, you know, if we see especially negative emotions rising in others, then we can, again, in our kind of reptile primitive brain, just by natural response, start to have it rise in ourselves, like nothing good or bad about it, it just happens. But if when we know um, that that is something that can happen, then we can be aware of it. I mean, that even that description, emotional contagion is, is something that I think many of us intuitively know, but until, um, you know, when we talk to people and teach about it, they're like, oh my God, that is a thing. I never thought of it that way, but we've all experienced it, you know? And so, you know, even knowing that not only can we have empathy and understand what someone's feeling, and then we can respond and and probably have more productive social emotional relationships, but we can also um, do that and at the same time be able to um, regulate a little bit about what's happening with us where it's like, oh, I, I'm starting to feel maybe if it's negative, we don't want to do that, but maybe it's a happiness. Maybe it's passion. Maybe it's enthusiasm. And it's like, oh yeah, bring it on. I want to catch this. <laughs> um, and then that's super important in leading like people that want to create a vision and they want to create some excitement and they want to get people on board. We all make those decisions based on our emotions. You know, we decide to get on board with changes or new ideas or want to be part of something because of our emotions. So you know, being able to have positive emotions as as a as a place for contagion is is a huge thing to be aware of of how it can produce really positive results too. It's not it's not always about mitigating negative uh, feelings.
0: And I, I would even like as you're saying that it's the the ability to name those positives too, right? Because even sometimes I think again when we have that emotion heading people are a little bit more more reserved. Some people don't want to overly share, but you're right. It can have such a huge, uplifting kind of powerful impact if we do decide to share those positive emotions and experiences with people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, just another uh, leader client story from today where they have a new leader who's come on board and she loves Christmas. And her team, they... They've got some challenges, and she's only been leading them them for about three months. But she's bringing all of this kind of Christmas uh, fun games. Uh, she's got like a string of light, that string of lights necklace, and she bought one for, you know, everybody. <laughs> and and no one on their team has done that before, but she's starting to create this little Uh, happiness vibe. And even some of the kind of cynical dissenters on the team are like, well, I don't, I don't really want to get on board with that, but what's happening over there? Because Everyone looks like they're having a good time. And so she's starting to really create this kind of culture and, and feeling like literally this feeling of, What if we could have some fun at work? What if we could laugh? What if we could, you know, take our work seriously, but not ourselves seriously? And um, so, yeah, I mean, it just plays everywhere. And when it comes to the stats, Daniel Goldman, who, you know, is really a guru uh, in this, when it comes to leadership, especially their, uh, the ability to affect leadership in an effective way. So to become an effective leader, they do through research have proven that it can be over 70% connected to emotional intelligence because in leadership, our role is to influence, you know, we're not necessarily doing the work we're influencing others. And that's based on our relationships, our ability to connect emotionally and socially uh, all of those kinds of things. So,
0: yeah. And going back even to the first of it, like I, I think of successful leaders as being able to manage themselves. So that internal piece of emotional intelligence, right? When they're self-aware enough to kind of process before coming to the team meetings or become before coming to a coaching with an employee, being able to work through and manage that, because let's be honest, like as you pointed to earlier, These emotions pop up in us all the time. We teach this Uh stuff. We talk about this stuff all day long. And I still see it happen (laughs) to me. And literally in my head, I'm like, okay, Jill, what just happened? Like, what's really going on here? Try not to say anything right now. Maybe you just need to step away and go for a coffee. So it's like just, and that's really why I got excited about you coming on today is cuz sometimes we can say these big buzzwords and we can think they're bigger than they are and then we can also think they're way more complicated or oh I just don't have it. And so talking about it in these steps, achievable little steps that we all actually need to practice to be able to succeed. I think it's I think it can create a positive ripple. So that's that's the goal behind doing this episode with you today. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Um, there's a couple things that popped into my mind as as you were describing that. Um, so the, at Yale, that's uh, where you know two profs had kind of gotten together, and they're not sure exactly how the the phrase emotional intelligence was coined. They talk about them renovating the garage of one of the one of the fellows, and they're just like, you know, there's this thing that's connected to success, and it's not IQ. Um, because they've measured it. High IQ did not have a direct correlation to overall success in life. A matter of fact, in some cases, it was only 25 to 30% of people who had high IQ Mm -hmm. that were living a successful life by all the other definitions. Um, So there's a center for emotional intelligence at Yale and their purpose is to teach emotional intelligence to younger children, to get it into schools, to get it like as a foundational um, piece that's part of how we start to see the world and see ourselves, which is so cool because it wasn't part of what I experienced. We just use some of those old-fashioned sayings, you know, uh, one step at a time, you know, that's kind of emotional intelligence, you know, where you just, you don't let your mind kind of spin out of control. Um, But the other interesting thing, when you talked about moment to moment from the, the Center for Emotional Intelligence at Yale, we experience 300 to 350 emotions a day. And their point is, if we don't understand them um, and and really decide, you know, what do I want to do with that? Do we really want all of those emotions driving the bus for us?
0: Oh, good one. Yeah, I've heard that one. Who's driving your bus? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of mind-blowing to think we have that many emotions in a day. But, it, you know, it's easy to think about. Like, even today, I went down to get lunch and I was like, oh, there's nothing to eat for lunch. So that was an emotion. It was like frustration and um you know, impatience, you know, and then there's some emotions that I felt that were really fun and some of that client work. And and when we really start to pay attention, it's like, oh my God, (laughs) it's everywhere. (laughs) And what am I doing with it all?
0: (laughs) It's everywhere. But am I even aware that I'm going through it all? Because you're right. It is so much. And it's in every continuous sometimes interaction with other people, but also within ourselves. Like you're saying, you went down, there was nothing for lunch, the frustration popped up. You know, think of how often those things, we can see a book, someone can say a comment, trigger, 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 continuous. And I think a lot of the time we can get caught up in reaction. And so that's why I really gravitate towards emotional intelligence because it's that practice of understanding ourselves And really taking the time to do that and knowing how by doing that, and I kind of associate it with a muscle, right? By building that muscle, by flexing that muscle, we get better at it, but then we also start to appreciate it in others. You know, we start to be a little bit more compassionate, as you said, the wonderful word of empathy showing up there versus sympathy, you know? And I think that really drives the opportunity for connection, deeper connections, realer connections even.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, uh, because it also brings into account one of the other elements of, of what real emotional intelligence is. It's, it's obviously that self-awareness piece, but there's also an assertiveness piece to it, too, Beautiful. where um, we we start to create, and this is something that, that can be learned, that we can create an ability to you know share what we're thinking, share our point of view um, with someone else. And it doesn't have to be about it being conflict. Um, so our ability to develop our own emotional intelligence can really create a level of closeness that I think a lot of people struggle with um, because they, number one, lots of folks, and it's natural to be afraid of something that we think is it might be, you know, turn into a conflict. Um, but if we have more skills, we can we can kind of navigate what what some of that stuff might look like and we can express it even in positive emotions. You know, there's um, I don't know if you've ever had the experience where um, someone who maybe it's a colleague, maybe it's even a family member. um, And it isn't until something really drastic happens where maybe they tell you how they feel about you or how important they are to you. Um, So it could be something positive. And, um, you know, that's an assertive assertiveness thing too, to be able to share with people why they matter and, um you know, to give someone a compliment or um so it's, and that's also connected to emotional intelligence. I have a feeling when I, I look at so-and-so and think, oh, they look so well put together. They just have such a great physical presence. And I love, I love their sense of style, but then it's like, how do we action it? Right. So, so it's, you know, it's just, it's, it shows up absolutely everywhere. Um, And the other cool thing which which you've touched on is that we can learn it. So IQ is kind of fixed. It is part of our DNA and, um, you know, the measurement of that's probably going to stay the same for, for our life, but EQ, we can absolutely grow as we start to understand it more and, and intuitively, I think, and, and unconsciously, a lot of us you know, have grown it through life experience, like the school of hard knocks often teaches us some (laughs) emotional intelligence, if we're kind of paying attention. (laughs) Mistakes Um, of what not to do. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, it's one advantage of getting older is emotional intelligence has been measured to go up um, well into our 70s. So that's kind of cool that, you know, there's no finish line and we can grow it.
0: I love that. And it's hard for me not to jump onto that right now because I'm like, yes, let's talk about tools. Let's talk about ways to grow it. I'm going to restrain myself because I want to go back. You said something that I haven't associated with emotional intelligence before. And I want you to elaborate because I think it's spot on. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's that assertiveness piece, being able to name it and communicate it. Walk me through how you would help somebody associate that assertiveness to be that positive
1: thing and kind of how they could do it technically. Um, Well, I guess I actually have a little bit of a script. So in my own journey and my own learning, because I'm always thinking about this um, not only in how, how to offer it to clients, but also to have it in my own relationships. I'm always kind of looking for um, what might be some of my go-to lines so that I don't have to rethink this all the time. (laughs) And so one of my go-to lines is, um, you know, this is what I'm feeling and this is how come. So it kind of connects to those three questions. This is what I'm feeling and this is how come. And this is my request. So let's say um, a scenario, that, you know, it could be in, a rela- in something that happened with my, with my partner. You know, maybe it was something um, that I wanted to do a bit of a redirection. So this might be not necessarily a positive thing, but something where I'm asking for something to be different. Um, So that's one of my go-to lines is, um, you know, when this happened, this is how it made me feel. And what I would like to ask of you next time is, could you do this? So that's one really simple example where it's a request, but that's an assertive thing to ask for what we want. And it's also a vulnerable thing to say, when this happened, this is how it made me feel. So even that front end of that habit is something that we often don't do what we often say is, you know, you made me really mad. Like, you know, the kind of those you, you, you. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: So it's like, it's like that kind of what I love about the emotional intelligence piece is number one, it's super accountable to who we are and we own our own experience. (sighs) You know, this happened and this is how I felt. This is how it impacted me. Um, And when we do that, there's no arguing with it, right? It's like you offer it to someone on a platter, there's no, well, you don't feel it. it's like, well, no, I, when this happened, that's how, how I felt. So it's, it's a great way to kind of change a conversation that maybe someone might think is going to be difficult. And that's exactly what my client and I were talking about in this meeting. She's doing a follow-up meeting with this colleague where they had a bit of a desktop um, on Friday, you know, where it's like, you know, we need to describe what we want, Um as we're describing maybe something that we didn't want, we can say, you know, in the future, this is what I would want to have happen. And and that could be assertiveness in that example. Uh, so I don't know if that's kind of what you were thinking. But. No,
0: it's totally what I'm thinking. It's just I love how, you know, we're talking about emotional intelligence, how it's that self-reflection, self-understanding and putting it into practice, really. But I love it how you open the door about communicating it out. So just naming it, being able to express it to other people, because I just see it as such a beautiful way to build those real connections, right? Mm -hmm. You mentioned conflict. I'm somebody who loves, I don't love conflict. I see conflict as very valuable because I feel it contributes to healthy relationships, you know? once again, lots of unlearning that had to happen there of conflict Mm -hmm. is negative, but I do, I see it as this opportunity to get to know each other better, to find out. And so a big part of that goes back to being able to be assertive with naming what you're feeling and why you're feeling it, being able Mm -hmm. to put yourself out there, be vulnerable, as you said, and name it so that the other person can understand. So as you're talking about, you know, it gives us the opportunity to be accountable for how we feel and what we're experiencing it. And I think it's just so spot on because you're taking out the blame then, which is, let's be mm-hmm. honest, one of those f- fan, things that fan the flame of negative conflict is the blame game. So by being yeah. able to own our emotions and say, well, here's what I'm feeling, here's why I'm feeling it, I feel it really sets us up
1: to succeed with connection.
0: You know, like, so as Absolutely. you're talking, I'm just like, yes. <laughs>
1: Let's- Absolutely. It's, it's a way to really effectively describe our experience to someone else. And in the process of doing that, that creates closeness. Yes. So even conflict can create closeness if it's processed well. But to process it well, we, we do need to develop the ability to think about what was really going on for me. Like, what was I feeling? Why was I feeling it? And what would I want differently? Or what do I want to choose to do about it? Right? So to me, it always boils down to those three questions in its most simplistic form. Um, there's, you know, what, what we do, the work I do with clients, obviously we can do an assessment and there's many pieces to it, um, which is also a great tool. But I think the more simple we can make it in our everyday life, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling that way? And what do I want to do about it? Or what would I want differently? If we could all do that, wow, there'd be some really cool things going on, right? But I think
0: that's such a huge tool that you're giving people, right? Even just by, by naming those three kind of opportunities to step back and check in, like with ourselves personally, I think that gives us a little bit more clarity when we're trying to communicate that out with people, you know, and mm-hmm. trying to name it so that we can, once again, maybe communicate a little bit more effectively. Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, I gotta go back to one more thing. You say, because you're right. You as usual, Kim, you you name it perfectly with the it's a very vulnerable process, right? Of naming our feelings and what we're experiencing. So as you do this coaching with people, I I'm (laughs) I'm gonna assume no doubt there's a little bit of resistance sometimes to that vulnerable, you know, be putting yourself out there, naming your experience can you talk about how you would encourage somebody around that? Like just if they're struggling Mm -hmm. with being vulnerable, what would you suggest?
1: Well, it's, the suggestions usually come um, once, you know, we've developed a little bit of trust between one another. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, for me to do that piece, to build the trust and then encourage vulnerability in other people is probably by me showing it to them. So Um, I certainly don't ever profess to have all of the answers. And often what I'll do is try to use stories from my own experience where, you know, maybe I've made a mistake or something that I'm still working on. Um, Like, for example, you know, I, I do believe we are a whole person at work and at home. And so sometimes I bring examples of work that my husband and I are doing, you know, say for around conflict that that process that we just described, you know, this happened, this is how it made me feel, and this is what I would like differently. So I described to them, I think, through stories, maybe some of my own journeys. Mm -hmm. And then I think that helps maybe normalize the process a little bit. But to your point, uh, you know, I remember – a couple years ago I'd met some new folks through uh, my husband's work and they asked what I did for a living. And then they said, well, what does that mean? And I had mentioned a couple of the things that we work on and one of them was emotional intelligence. And then they were kind of freaked out. Cause they're like, Oh, does that mean you're like evaluating whether I have it or do I have it or don't I have it? <laughs> and so, so it can be a really intimidating thing because it's like this unknown, like it's kind of known, but it's unknown. Yes. And, um, And that's the last impression I would ever want to leave with someone is that, you know, I know something you don't know when I'm assessing you. So, uh, I always try to explain that to them that it's like, you know, you have it, it's just learning more about it. And, and, you know, that kind of thing. But I think you're, you're so bang on in that it can be this kind of nebulous, um, this nebulous, um, word or tagline. And it's like, what does that mean and how does it apply to me and why does it matter? And that's, it. like, anytime I
0: kind of see those opportunities of, like, when I hear a buzzword, I just, like, that's why I wanted you on again. It's just to create the opportunity to step back and say, well, Like, let's talk about it. Let's be simple and basic about this. It's not really that big, fancy or technical piece. It's actually a practice that we do within ourselves that can actually help us show up better with other people and can encourage a lot more healthier relationships. So I think being able to boil it down and be like, you don't need a degree, you don't need a doctorate. You know, it's a practice that everybody can do. I think just making it to your point about talking about how we're doing it, being vocal about that, the struggles that we have, naming that. I think like I'm I'm a huge advocate for that as well, right? Being able to show transparency in me, to say, "Hey, no one's perfect. We all fail multiple times." And so being able to help support each other in a little bit more of a positive instead of judgmental way, I think once again, we can have a little bit more of that positive impact on society. You
1: know? Yeah, yay. yeah, absolutely. And it's really, you know, it really is to impact and, uh, and create that, that kind of life that we want, where we have healthy, fulfilling relationships. We can use our emotions to direct us towards meaningful work. Mm-hmm to finding our purpose. I mean, those are, that's our emotional information is directing us towards, you know, where do we get inspired? What's meaningful to us? It can direct us and, and lead us to making really hard decisions, you know, maybe to ending a marriage, um, you know, to setting boundaries with certain people that the relationship doesn't work, but the emotions are information that, that we can use. But one of the things that um, I was thinking about knowing that we were going to talk about this was, you um, really knowing that it's the balance between emotions so what we're feeling and then making sense of it because not uh, like we can experience all emotions and all emotions are okay there's no good or bad they are just what they are Uh, and emotions can be really fleeting and so if we're only emotion driven if we use emotional information as our only source Mm -hmm. and our only guide um, it kind of goes back to that quote of like, you know, who's driving the bus then? Like, if we just live in the moment and respond to every emotion and every kind yeah. of intel that's yeah. coming in from our emotional um, kind of primitive uh, brain, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that can lead us astray too. And, and so I think that's one of my journeys in using emotional intelligence is when I was younger, I often struggled with, um, what my rational brain was telling me and what my gut was telling me. And, you know, I do know other people where they're very feeling driven, but they're very feeling driven at the expense of their rational brain. Like even in making decisions, um, you know, everything's about, oh, I felt like this. You know, we've even seen some of that in what's been going on in the world right now, um, where they're not implementing science into how they're feeling. Like we could be afraid about, about, you um, you know, getting the COVID vaccine, but is that a valid fear? We need to check that. So emotional intelligence really is using that emotional information. Yes, it's information. Um, And we need to check it with our cognitive brain. That's the whole piece is putting those two hemispheres of our brain together. And then that's what kind of creates a sweet spot.
0: It's like I I picture a balance beam, right? It's not letting one be off tilted uh, too high. It's being able to recognize, okay, I'm feeling, what am I feeling? Kind of do that step back, that self-awareness, but then also balance it. Well, I like how you're mentioning like the rational piece of our brain too, as opposed to just continuously reacting in the moment. So Again, I go to the definition or what we're talking about is emotional intelligence is that practice of being able to step back, Mm. pause yourself, because it's really important to be able to kind of, you know, reconnect with your full brain. So as you're talking, I'm thinking, obviously, fight or flight, when we go into that, as you said, like the primitive part of our brain, that kind of survival piece Mm -hmm. kicks into like gear and we lose the capacity to have that rational piece of our brain, which allows us to critically think, make better decisions, ask questions, yada, yada, Mm -hmm. yada, come from a better, more aware place. So that practice of emotional intelligence of stepping back from our emotions, it actually also gives the opportunity to reconnect, activate that whole piece of our brain. So we actually show up more evolved Like, if that's not too judgy to say, like, we we come off as better versions of ourselves because we've took the time to collect ourselves Mm -hmm. both emotionally and intelligently, really.
1: No, absolutely, because we are still, uh, you know, hardwired, and I know that you know this, uh, for survival, and it's the base of survival is fear. And so I remember, again, in my early 20s, because I've been you know, on this kind of journey of exploring all this kind of stuff for so long, reading the book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyways by Susan Jeffers. I don't know if you know that book. I don't know that book. Um, Yeah, it's a really good book. Um, But it was kind of describing that whole scenario that we can feel fear, but just because we feel fear doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it we're hardwired to feel fear around anything unknown that's not familiar to us. Exactly. And so, you know, the point of her book is, you know, a lot of what we observe other people doing that we think is, is so fearless, they're probably feeling the fear and they're doing it anyways. Yes. And it is the, it is the combination of thinking and feeling where we're, we're putting both of those things together yeah. and that it's, you know, when it comes to kind of that neuroscience piece and and how we're hardwired, there's there's always a fear. Sometimes it is very real, but we're we're just still hardwired to fear anything unfamiliar, new, looks like a threat, uh, anything like that.
0: And I think But what it I... doesn't
1: mean that we're gonna react and act on that feeling of fear. Exactly.
0: So what a beautiful that's not, what a yeah. beautiful piece of information to be given or to you know, like it's things no doubt we all know, but the opportunity to step back and say, Yeah, fear is very natural. It happens a lot of time. What we do with that fear, that uh-huh. is something that we get to own. We get to control. We get to uh-huh. react as we were talking about or practicing that kind of stepping back, checking in with ourselves, doing your beautiful questions of what am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? And what do I want to do about it? gives us that opportunity to maybe use fear as a driver versus something we're reacting from a little bit more.
1: Yeah, where it can almost be a motivator.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly, positive motivator. Uh, So here's what I want to ask. We're talking about why or what is emotional intelligence, you know, that practice of really stepping back, checking in with ourselves, and then knowing that this emotional intelligence can also impact our relationships. It can also allow us to maybe show a little bit more empathy with other people because we tap into a connection of how some times it can be really hard, right? And being able to allow space for people as they're maybe processing themselves or create those opportunities Mm -hmm. of stepping back. So you've sold us on what it is, why it's important, because we've named a couple of times about how it does create us showing up as a better version of ourselves, but also a deeper, more real connection with other people. Now where I want to take us is, well, Kim, how do we do it? How do we practice it? What are some tangible things besides those three perfect questions of stepping back and asking ourselves that you would recommend that people can start with?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, I feel like those three questions are the start without getting into it too complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but that makes it sound easy because those questions, you know, they're really short. They're really, you know, succinct, but they're they're not necessarily easy questions. So I think it's that uh, that ability to um, to just kind of check in to be like, what am I feeling right now? And, and understanding what that is and getting better at naming it, maybe getting a little bit better at kind of describing it. Um, the fellow from the Center of Emotional Intelligence at Yale uh, has a really cool way of talking about it. He said, how many people of you uh, in the crowd here have ever wine tasted? And, you know, people raise their hands and it's like, what were some of the words that you used when you first described wine? And they'd say like gross, uh, good, you know, really kind of basic kinds of words. And then they said, you know, after you've done it for a few years and you've done quite a few, what kind of words do you use now? Okay. It's like, oh, it's vanilla. It's got a hint of this and a touch of that. And to me, that's honestly the first place to start is how can we get to that place where it's like, what am I feeling? And, and what, what would be like, what's the essence of it uh, and understanding it. And then the other piece I would think in addition to those three questions is really noticing when we get flooded, Um, like what the triggers are. So um, you know, years ago, again, I had done some learning and, and there was a description of that calling a disproportionate reoccurring reaction where based on the situation, there's always an over emotional response and that's, that. those are triggers. And so really understanding what those are can provide so much information into ourselves and about where we might want to spend some time. Um, I am a little bit of a, of a book person and a research person. So to me, you know, those three questions, understanding our triggers, but in complement with, you know, looking at what is emotional intelligence and reading a book. I have one one of my books. It's like my most favorite book, and it's written by an Albertan, um, a, a fellow out of Edmonton. It's called The Other Kind of Smart. And uh, really, really easy to read. Walks through lots of simple examples that are, I think are really relatable to everyday life. Uh, and so then just kind of looking for it. Um so I I don't know if if you were looking for kind of a different answer but I almost want to keep it simple just no, because I I the love simpler it is
0: that's the whole yeah. goal of the show right to keep it simple and to hopefully give some someone something to think about and somewhere to start is kind of the goal with all of this right so even the the naming it piece like you talked about the question of what am I feeling but maybe that's even like you know, an exploration or opportunity in itself, look up the feelings wheel, look up the different emotions and exactly like your wine story starts somewhere, you know, you're going to start off probably a lot more limited than you will be in another year. But it's so interesting how expanded our vocab will get, the more we use it, the more we acknowledge it. So the feeling wheel is if I took you down in my office and showed you, it's actually one of the things that's stapled up on my wall about just having understanding that, okay, I'm sad. Well, what's underneath that? Maybe what's driving that to be able to understand it. So getting the terminology, I think, and just starting somewhere with that, I think would be another great idea to kind of, if you're looking for somewhere to initiate or start
1: the process for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the terminology is important, not because we need to, um, be able to name it, you know, for namesake, but it's because that's how we start to, um, describe ourselves and then may, maybe be able to communicate it to others. We can better describe our experience. Well, so, just, yeah. If, if we're all saying we're, we're sad, you know,
0: like it kind of, we're all experiencing something really different. So being able to name it on a deeper level, I think it once again drives an opportunity for deeper connection and understanding with each other. So not only that self journey, but also that connection journey with other people
1: too. Well, and I I think the fact that that you're bringing this to... To this space right now is really interesting because of the way the world has been in the last uh, coming up almost two years. A lot of the ways that we might have previously distracted ourselves from whatever was going on were suddenly unavailable. And, you know, I'm not sure what people did, you know, in the absence of all of the distractions that we can have and in, in the busyness of how we can um, get up to. Um, but I'm wondering if some people you know, we're asking themselves those questions, maybe using different words where, you know, I'm really off today. Well, like, how come, how come I'm off? Or, you know, what am I, what am I missing? And that's contributing to it. Or, so I'm wondering if the sensitivity around, around emotion and and kind of feeling has been heightened a little bit just because of the collective experience of, of what's happened. And if that's the case, that would be amazing. If one of the outcomes of our global experience together could be that, Maybe we are just a little bit more in tune with, you know, what we're feeling. We've taken a little bit of a pause with understanding, maybe the dynamics of what and why, and uh, and then have done something positive. Because in the the reason I told you the story about my mom in the, in, at the beginning was, she she was someone who I recognized as as someone with really high IQ. She was one of the smartest people I ever knew. And as a young adult, as I was growing up, I was watching her choose or choose not to do things that I knew could improve her life, that could improve her relationships, that could improve her experience as a human on the planet. And she would again, cho- not choose them. And to me, it was like so confusing. <laughs> I'm like, why, why wouldn't you choose to, to do something different? Um, and she was the first to admit that she really suffered from kind of low self-esteem and low uh, kind of emotional intelligence. And, and then I just saw the kind of life it, it created for her um, and, and kind of the suffering. And so I really think the attunement to emotional intelligence can really, can really set a different direction for our lives in, in all of the ways that matter to us, in all of the ways it's so true it's that
0: it's so many different levels it it's like the recipe for how to be a better version of you and also how to have more real lasting healthy relationships with other people like it really is yep. A great opportunity. So if you haven't taken maybe the pandemic an opportunity to step back and wonder or look at how you might be able to grow, check in with yourself right now. Is there opportunity? Are you, before you react in a moment, are you practicing taking a pause? Are you practicing taking a breath? And are you actually connecting with yourself and finding out what's happening for you internally before maybe communicating anything out? So creating those opportunities of internal growth, internal experience, but also then realizing how much that's going to impact the relationships you have. And then bringing kind of that internal process, maybe allowing other people or promoting, encouraging other people to take that for themselves too. What a great thing we can all practice maybe a little bit more.
1: Absolutely. Every single day. <laughs> <laughs> seriously. It
0: is a practice though. Like, as I said it at the practice. very beginning, this is stuff that we live by, you know, myself and you, and like all of our colleagues, this is in our speech all the time. And it's still something we consciously have to continue to do. It might get a little bit easier, but seriously, when my emotions go high, it's harder for me. Like I have to have that awareness within myself to be like, whoa, 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 whoa stop (laughs) don't say anything right now like it just happened to me like a couple of weeks ago I was dealing with my doctors um and just like the the front desk staff we just had a a little couple of miscommunications let's say and I (laughs) promise you my internal process the internal self-talk happening was Jill they deal with people all the time you know they might have just had a really bad day step back (laughs) step back But it's just showing how, like, this is real life. We can get triggered, you know, at any moment. So we can get triggered at any moment. But what we do with that emotion, when we're triggered, that's on us. That's where I believe your beautiful word at the very beginning, the power that we all have. It's pretty fantastic when we can tap into that, when we can harness that and allow it to be a driver of connection.
1: Versus separation. Absolutely, and you know, it's really it is our human experience. Yeah. That's that's the beauty of of our human experience is that we can have all of these different kinds of feelings. Um, it takes vulnerability to show positive feelings towards other it takes vulnerability to experience and really hang out in the tough places we are as well and you know kind of feeling all of what what's happening there because a lot of times we don't want to do that too we think we need to be an optimist or or it's kind of too dark for us to feel it and and so it's really in my mind it's really kind of wrapping our arms around that whole human experience and then but still knowing that as humans, we're different from animals in that we have an ability to decide, you know, decide what what we want to do, how long we might want to spend in, you know, in sorrow or how long and how much we want to and how could we more show our appreciation of others. Um, how connected do we feel emotionally Um not only to to our loved ones, but you know to our neighborhood, to our communities, that's another element of emotional intelligence is kind of our social responsibility that we feel uh, that we're part of something bigger. So, um, I don't know. it's just it's such a fascinating part of being human, and the more we learn about it, um it just leads to a richer experience. you know for for whatever our our journeys are, whatever our chapters are for ourselves.
0: It's so hard to just like wrap it up because I could just talk with you all day long. You're just fantastic human. <laughs> that was like not English, but you are a fantastic human, <laughs> <laughs> and I just love how you show up in the world, Kim. Like honestly, you're you're real. You're able to practice that assertiveness, that leadership mind frame. And it's always something I see in you. And I just get excited to be in your presence because it does, it has a big ripple. So just thank you for being you and being able to take time out of your schedule and come on the show
1: today. I really appreciate that. Oh, you are so welcome. And you know, I feel the exact same way. So (laughs) mutual adoration. (laughs) Yay,
0: to positive ripples out in humanity. Uh, Anything, any advice you want to give? Somebody starting the journey of emotional intelligence, your last pitch, your last idea, anything, any advice you would give?
1: You know what I would do? Reality TV is such a thing, and, (laughs) and it's been such a thing for a while, that everyone kind of knows what that is. And it's something that I talk to clients about all the time, and I do myself as well, where obviously those three questions are super important, but even before that, just try to imagine that there is your own reality TV camera and you've set it up, you've made the decision and you want it to follow you around and, and, and ask the reality TV camera, what are you seeing? You know, what kind of information can, can you share with me? Um, you know, and just follow me around and, and uh, do some Intel for me. And, and that's the other thing I would ask is just, or uh, sorry, advise just, you know, how can we continue to have that reality TV camera objectively? Again, that's one of the, the amazing things of being human, that we have that ability to be present, but also observe ourselves at the same moment. And that's an emotional intelligence skill. Um, how can we be present and hear and observe ourselves at the same time? So I guess that's the other little nugget I just, I tossed in there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. More nuggets. Yes, please. Give us the breadcrumbs to living a more quality enriched life. life. Uh, so I actually, when you say that, I think of like, I go back to my meditation practices. It's like the observer role, right? It's yep. being able to like third eye take the step back. What am I seeing right now? What am I experiencing? Um, instead of just kind of getting caught up in the flood that can happen of our emotions. Absolutely. Sweet. So you heard it, guys. Step back. (laughs) Step back before you react. We get totally understand. It's a hard thing. We're all trying to strive out there to do a little bit better. So just remember, be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with each other. Um, Try it out. See how it feels. If it's not something you practice, Maybe next interaction you show up for, hold yourself accountable. How can I practice self-awareness in this? How can I step back, check in with myself, and really practice that internal kind of journey of emotional intelligence before maybe communicating? So just that little tiny check-in. Highly encourage it. Uh, As always, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. So please remember this journey is... Full of ups and downs and be kind, like I said, to yourself and other people. And always, always remember to take the time to power yourself.